Today's scripture comes from the book of Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is the word of the Lord. God. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, just a little disclaimer. Uh, some of you know this, especially those of you who've been in my journey group or GLF. I have a long time um, pre-existing kind of condition with my lungs. And so when I get a cold, it's like a really bad cold. And so um, I've been coughing a lot the last couple months, um, even though I'm like fine. Uh, but it's just one of those things that happens. And so um, that's what Grace was referring to in her prayers. And um, if my voice gives out, I don't know, I guess we'll end early. And that'll be God's grace, right? <laughs> um, if, if you're new, um, I want to personally say uh, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, currently, what we're doing um, here on Sundays uh, at Revive is we're going through a sermon series explaining the vision of our church. And so we have the tagline, New life in Christ. Let's say that all together. New life in Christ for the nations of Silicon Valley. New life in Christ for the nations of Silicon Valley. That's, we're going to hit on actually all that today um, in some way. And then we have a series of core values. Next screen. So gospel, word and spirit, disciples, family, nations, every member, and city. Um, and this week, we're going to go over value number three, disciples. Jesus making missional disciples of all nations. All right, <clears throat> so we're covering discipleship today. Um, I want to begin with this thought. Maybe when you think of discipleship, this is not the immediate thing that comes to mind. What is the purpose of hunger? Without getting too complicated, uh, the purpose of hunger is obviously to let our body know that our stomach is empty, and that it needs to be filled. It needs filling. Seems simple enough, right? Um, but actually, this need to fill emptiness with fullness is something very fundamental to being a human being. Not only do we have a need to fill our stomachs, right? But we also have a need to fill our intellect. We have a need to fill our hearts. We have a need to uh, have full lives. So as, as you think about all the different aspects of you know, human life, human existence, um, we see a, a pattern, don't we, of emptiness, we don't like it. Fullness, that's what we like. We gravitate towards fullness. And that's because that's how God created us. As human beings, fullness is what we desire. In fact, it's what we need. You need fullness because without it, you feel empty 
And then innately, you're driven to go and try to find a way to fill that emptiness with what? Fullness. So that's what um, it is to be a human being. Now in today's word, we're going to see how Christ is calling people from all around the world, from all the nations, like in our tagline. And he's calling them to him to do this, to believe and to follow him, to become his disciples. That's, um, that's, that's what, what Christ came to do. You know, we can reduce it to the head. Um, so what is the ultimate purpose of these disciples? Why is Jesus calling disciples to himself to follow him? Here's the reason. And if you have a, a notebook, this is, or a phone, or whatever, this is what you would want to write down. The reason God is calling disciples to him is because God wants to fill them by pouring out all of the fullness of God into them. Human beings, we want to be filled. God wants to fill you. And that's why Jesus came to make disciples, call disciples to him, so that they can be filled, so that you can be filled. Filled with what? All the fullness of God. So three points for you today. The fullness of God, number one. And then second, the curse of emptiness. And then third, discipleship, being with Jesus and receiving God's fullness. So first, the fullness of God. In the first two chapters of Ephesians, we're looking at, you know, chapter 3 today, but the first two chapters before, the Apostle Paul explains that God's plan of redemption uh, for the world um, includes calling people disciples from all nations, all tribes, all tongues. That's the nature of God's plan. And then in the chapter we're looking at today, chapter 3, verses 14 to 15, Paul is responding to God's plan with prayer. And so let's read verses 14 and 15. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. A major part of God's plan is to give his power to people. We're going to see that in the uh, next couple of verses. And who is he giving power to? He's giving his power to people of all different nations, all different times even. People who lived during that time when this letter was being circulated, you know, but, uh, this is like modern day Middle East, Turkey, to the people who lived even before then. This power that God wants to give is also for people today, including us right here in Silicon Valley in the year 2023. And God wants to give this people people in the future his power that's part of his plan now what is this power for we'll get to that anyone in the world who believes in christ will receive the power of god let me say that again anyone in the world poor rich educated uneducated slave free who believes in Christ will receive the power of God. And anyone who is a believer in Christ is also a disciple, a follower of Christ. So the words believer, disciple, they can be used interchangeably. Uh, those are both words that simply mean um, anyone who genuinely believes in Jesus. So if you believe in Jesus Christ, then you are a disciple of Jesus. You bear his name 
and you are a member of his household. Now, this power that God wants to give to all nations, to the people of all nations, what is that power for? It says it in verse 16 and 17. Let's read that. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. These verses tell us that God is giving people this power, the power of the Holy Spirit, in order for your inner being to be strengthened. And your inner being needs to be strengthened so that it can understand Christ's love, so that His love, Christ Himself, can dwell in your hearts through faith. The next verse goes on to tell us that when Christ dwells in our hearts, our lives become anchored into Him, or firmly rooted, established in His love. And as we're anchored into Christ, we get to know the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of Christ's love. And as we get to know the breadth and the length and the depth and the height of Christ's love, God is pouring out His very fullness into all of those who know Him and follow Him. Look at that odd phrase in verse 19. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. When we look at this verse, it's, it's, it, it, it's big. There's a lot of like big ideas. And it's hard for us, for example, to understand what, is it, what does it mean to be filled with, with the fullness of God. There's a reason for that. It's hard to understand because in verse 19 it tells us to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. To know Christ's love surpasses knowledge. It's, it's by nature difficult to understand. So let me try to explain it for you here. Try to follow me. To know the knowledge that surpasses knowledge, it says up there in that verse, to know that knowledge that surpasses knowledge means that the knowledge that you have is the highest possible knowledge that can be known by man. Let me say that again. To know the knowledge or to have the knowledge that surpasses knowledge means that the knowledge that you have is the highest possible knowledge that can be known by, known by man. It's the knowledge that surpasses all knowledge. So the next question should be, well, what, what is that knowledge that surpasses knowledge? That knowledge is knowing Christ. Knowing Christ and knowing His love. In other words, to know Christ is to know the very source of knowledge. When you know Christ, you know the very source of knowledge. Why? Because Jesus is the Word of God, and He was with God in the beginning, we're told. And everything that was created was created by the Word of God. In other words, there is no creation, there is no earth, there is no heaven, there, is no, there are no stars, there is no um, mountains, rip, nothing. There's no human beings without Christ. Therefore, our very reality, our very existence depends completely on Christ because all of reality flows out of Christ. 
because again, nothing that was created was created without Christ. So this is why when you know Christ, you are knowing a knowledge that surpasses all knowledge because Christ is the definition of knowledge. Christ is knowledge. There is no knowledge greater than Christ. There is no knowledge that is wider than Christ. There is no knowledge that comes before Christ. There is no knowledge that surpasses Christ. He is the greatest thing that we can know. And this is why it requires the supernatural power of God from verse 16 to help our finite minds understand and grasp an infinite Christ. Pretty hard to wrap our minds around, right? That's kind of the whole point of this passage, actually. That's why it says, I pray and God, that God would give you strength that you could grasp how wide and long and deep and high is God's love. Because in our finite minds, it's really difficult to understand. But that's what God wants to pour out on you. How good is it that we have a God who wants to give us a gift he wants to give us something that is so big that it's, even, it's difficult to even understand what it is that he's giving us. Personally, that makes me happy. <laughs> I wouldn't want a God who gives me something puny and small and I can just look at it and understand everything about it in 10 seconds and be like, well, that was whatever. No. God is infinite. He is eternal. And he wants to give you all the fullness of God, as it says there in verse 19. Christ is knowledge. Knowing Christ is the highest pinnacle of human knowledge. For those of you um, who really value knowledge, I hope that you will kind of sit on that and appreciate that. That something that you value, this, this knowledge, whether it's from books or from other speakers, uh, from philosophers, God is saying that if you know Christ, you have achieved the highest pinnacle of human knowledge, past, present, or future. So congratulations. You're, you're the smartest person in all of history if you know Christ, right? All of this gives us a window into understanding what it means to be filled with the fullness of eternal God. All right. Now, let me say uh, this about, I'm going to go a little, I'm going to go backtrack to 17 and 18. One other thing here about the fullness of God. Notice that there is language of dimensions there, right? I've said it a couple times already. In a way, when we think of breadth and, you know, width, length, height, depth, we could say that we're describing a cube, some sort of box, right? So imagine this box that God is you know, describing with these dimensions here in his word. This box, is, this box is so big that we actually need the help of God's divine strength just to be able to picture it and comprehend it. Why? Because as we examine this box, as soon as we think that we've kind of understood it and wrapped our minds around it, suddenly we realize that, oh, upon closer examination, this box is actually broader and longer 
and higher and deeper than I had previously comprehended. But the mysterious thing is, it's not the box that has actually changed. The box has not grown. What has grown is your perception of the box. The box remains the same. It's only because you're now able to see and comprehend more of it than you did previously, a width and length and height and depth to this cube that you weren't aware of now, and now you're discovering. So what is inside this box, which seems to be so enigmatic, so comprehensible and incomprehensible at the same time? This box is describing Christ's love for you. I wonder if you've ever read you know, a passage of scripture or if you've ever been driving out in nature and somehow it's like lightning zapping your mind, you realize something very profound about yourself and God and the world. And sometimes, you know, this has happened to me and I know it happens to other people as you're you know, thinking about this, maybe, you're, you know, maybe it's at the beach or maybe it's like at the Grand Canyon. You're just kind of standing there in awe of God who created all this and you feel a tear just kind of trickling down or welling up in your eye. And it's not a tear of sadness, it's a tear of awe because you feel so small in light of this thing that just hit your mind. It's a little example of what God is talking about here. That he wants you to have strength to understand how wide and long and deep and high is his love for you. Do you understand his love for you? Yes. No. <laughs> yes. Oh, no. That's what happens when we are anchored into Christ. I'll give another illustration about that later. In verse 18, we see that God is pouring out his, the full force, 18 and 19, the full force of his divine love on us through Christ. And the experience of Christ's love is so big and so beyond that we need to pray to God to give us strength to be able to comprehend it. And this is a discovery of newness. It's a constant discovery, a constant rediscovery, if you will, of God's love. This is actually mentioned in various places in Scripture. Uh, one of them is in Lamentations. Let's read that together. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I mean, such a simple four lines and yet so profound. You could literally write a whole book on these four verses. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. What is it talking about there? It's talking about eternity. It's talking about something infinite. It never ends. Have you ever thought about like a line, you know, in geometry? I would always remember sitting there sometimes, you know, in geometry and just thinking about lines go forever. That's so weird. Like there's no end to the line. It just keeps going. You know, when you have that little arrow, right? God's love never ceases. 
and His mercy, His grace and His mercy, they never come to an end. Is that good news? It's good news to me. Because the Lord knows I live my life in such a way, I do my best, but I make mistakes. And I need mercy. Anyone empathize with me? Do you find that sometimes you really need God, that all you can do is count on God's mercy? Because it sure ain't about how you've behave, been behaving or treating your spouse or treating your kids or gossiping about your coworkers, right? And then it kind of comes back to bite you in the butt. And you're like, oh, it's all me. The only thing I can fall upon is that God just have mercy. Just forgive me. I have nothing else to say. How good is it that his mercies never come to an end? Just a little picture of the fullness of God being poured out into you. You see that? You can go on forever and ever about this because his love never ceases. And because it never ceases and because it never comes to an end, every morning God's love feels new. Those of you guys who've been married for a while, how great would that be <laughs> if every morning you woke up and you were like, wow, look at her. Beautiful. Like the first time you saw her. How great would it be if your spouse rolled over and they opened their eyes and they looked at you instead of saying, oh my gosh, look how old you look. I can't believe how fast time has gone. Instead of that, they say, honey, you are so handsome. You are the apple of my eye. It's like seeing you new for the first time all over again. And what if they did that every day? What would that do to your marriage? Well, first of all, you'd probably be like, is something wrong? <laughs> Are you okay? But we'd be so joyful, right, if we could wake up like that every You know what? When we are anchored into Christ's love, and when we examine and gaze upon Christ's love, it is new every morning. Amen? The fullness of God. <clears throat> so we have this amazing promise from the author of reality, from Christ, the one who created the galaxies, the planets, and human beings merely by speaking it. <laughs> and with that same speaking voice, God says, I want to pour out all of my fullness into you. That's awe-inspiring. Do you feel Christ's love even now as I say that? And yet, even with all the fullness of God there at our fingertips that he's offering to us, sometimes we still cling to emptiness. Right? Point two, the curse of emptiness. Isn't it ironic that our world is so full of things and yet there's so much profound emptiness, right? The world is so full of amusement and diversions and things to chase after, and yet there's still so much profound emptiness. We're surrounded by it. 
And emptiness takes on many forms, such as a broken heart, a broken friendship, or broken marriages, which lead to broken families, or just plain physical broken bodies from disease or accidents. My son is playing basketball. He keeps spraining his ankle. I don't know why. Someone's got to teach him how to walk again. I don't know. Broken bodies, broken lives. This general brokenness of the cosmos affects humankind's in a lot of ways. Another example, according to the Johns Hopkins Medical Center, approximately 22 million American adults, 22 million, that's, um, that's almost 10%, guys, uh, of American adults ages 18 and over each year will suffer from a depressive illness, which would be a major depression, bipolar disorder, or dysthymia. Listen to some of these symptoms of clinical depression. This, these aren't my words. These are words from um, the American Psych Psychiatric Association. Um, symptoms of clinical depression. Persistent sadness, anxiety, and feeling of being empty. Again, not my words. The APA describing one form of human brokenness as feeling empty all the time. Feelings of hopelessness, pessimism, feelings of worthlessness, helplessness, loss of interest or pleasure in hobbies and activities and, and food, decreased energy, fatigue, feeling slowed down. It just sounds like age to me. <laughs> Aches, pains, cramps, digestive problems without any clear reason, and, but they don't go away with any kind of treatment. And tragically, thoughts of death, suicide attempts, or even suicide. These are all symptoms of clinical depression. A pleasureless life. You have no pleasure in your hobbies or activities. Feeling worthless, feeling hopeless to the point of not wanting to or being able to continue. Brothers and sisters, these are all variations on the theme of emptiness. And more and more people are suffering from emptiness, either this form or all the other forms that we can think of. This pain of emptiness isn't happening only on the individual level either. We see the pain of emptiness in the systems of our world. I mean, all year long, my phone is telling me bad news after bad news after bad news, news cycles that we get uh, from our nation's capital and from around the world. It's all about broken political systems run by corrupt, broken human beings who legislate broken laws and broken policies, which lead to broken schools and broken cities, ultimately broken families, societies, and civilizations, which then all suffer under the curse of emptiness because they're broken and they can't hold what they're meant to hold. And so everything just falls out and it leaves in its wake utter emptiness. And this is a tragedy, guys, because we as human beings, we like to believe, we want to believe that we're free to live however we wish and, and do whatever we like and make things that we want to make. And so many of the systems that exist today are the sum result 
of human civilizations operating by goals and principles and values that we ourselves established. And yet here we are in the year 2023 and our world still struggles with all this profound emptiness. So what's the solution? Well, for the solution, engineers, right? You need to identify what? The problem. And so the core problem is not as a lot of people want to believe. The core problem is not political. The core problem is not a matter of economic philosophy and how you distribute goods and resources. The core problem is not physical. The core problem is not psychological. Those are all just symptoms of the core problem. They are problems, but they're just symptoms. The core of the problem is the throne of our will and who sits on the throne of our will. The core of our problem is what rules your hearts. We as human beings are driven by hearts that are enslaved and corrupted by the spirit of pride, self-rule, and self-righteousness. And all of that pride, self-rule, and self-righteousness drove us away from God and from one another. And so without God, we find ourselves empty. Does it come as any surprise? And what is emptiness but the absence of that which should fill it? You know, before the curse of emptiness, we had the blessing of fullness. God had given us life. God gave us light. God gave us goodness. He gave us truth. God gave us beauty, love, fullness. In short, God gave us Himself. And in His love for us, God informed us that if we chose to separate ourselves from God's ways, chose to separate ourselves from God, and subsequently all those good things that flow from God, then this is what would happen. Yet we still chose to depart from God's ways, separating ourselves from God in order to become our own gods. We decided to sit in the throne of our own hearts, and that's called pride. We think that we are God, and Yahweh is not. And so we end up painfully empty and finding our world in its current state. But God, when he looked at that, he didn't just uh, say, you know, I told you so. God in his great love did the unimaginable. The creator joined with the creation. The word of God, who is Jesus, and by which everything was created, became flesh and dwelt among us. And do you know what Jesus did as he dwelt among us? He looked at all the emptiness of the world. He looked at the emptiness that plagues your heart. And Jesus joined with you in your emptiness, and he emptied himself. Imagine that. 
in the darkest places of our lives, in our world, suffering from this curse of the emptiness. Jesus could have said, man, you guys ruined it. I don't want to have anything to do with you or the world. Look what you did to it. But what did he do? Jesus joined with us in our emptiness, and he emptied himself too. And he was born in the likeness of men. And he humbled himself, and he became a servant by becoming obedient to the point of death, death even on a cross. And Jesus, the Son of God, who was rich, he willingly became poor. He emptied himself to become poor, even to death on a cross, so that we who are poor might, by his poverty, be forgiven by God and reconciled back to God, where once we were separated, back to God and become rich and full again. Amen? As in today's passage, verse 19 tells us that anyone who received Christ's gift, all disciples of Christ, you your purpose in life is to be filled with his goodness. Think about that. This is a great mysterious wisdom of God's plan, the gospel. But like any plan, we need to receive it. It's one thing to have a plan, or I guess a proposal, if you will, you know. But we actually need to receive it. We need to adopt it. And as I mentioned earlier, the core of our problems is our hearts. The throne of our inner being is occupied by pride and self-rule. But here's the good news. Remember in verse 16 and 17, it indicates to us that God offers His power to liberate your heart from pride and self-rule. Think about that. There's, there's language of warfare here. Your heart is enslaved. Your heart, the throne of your heart, belongs. It's under the oppression of pride and self-rule. And you have no power. We have no power to wrestle the throne room of our hearts away from ourselves. We can't. We're enslaved by our pride. And so this is why God offers His power to liberate your heart, your inner being, from under the rule of pride and self-righteousness. And then allow Christ the humble servant, to come in and to dwell in your heart instead. That's God's power. Do you need God's power? I do. And so with Christ now dwelling in our heart as the captain, he frees us from the curse of emptiness, and instead we embark on a new life with Christ, and the purpose of that new life is to be filled like a funnel with all the fullness of God himself, and then to discover and experience the immeasurable dimensions, breadth, length, height, depth of Christ's love for you and for others. That's your destiny. That's our destiny. Christ can free you from sin and its curse of emptiness. And if you want to receive Christ and everything else that he has planned for you, then here's what we need to do. We need to, if we want to receive something, what do we got to do? We got to let down, lay down all the things that we previously held. We got to lay down 
those ways of emptiness. And once our hands are empty and we say, God, now I'm ready. I'm not going to try to hold on to these things even as I'm asking you to fill my emptiness. I want to be truly empty. I want to know it. Because the more I know my emptiness, the more I know your fullness. So empty me, Lord. Help me to empty it, to lay it down. I need your power. And Ephesians 3 says, I give you power so that you can now be filled with all of his fullness. Jesus does not lie. Amen? So trust him. Cry out to him. Ask him for help. Ask him to dwell in your inner being as a captain. And this brings us to the final point. Discipleship. We got the lights going, huh? <laughs> Discipleship is, oh, where did our slides go? Being with Jesus, receiving God's fullness. You know, I'm a parent. Got four kids. Well, I guess they're not kids anymore. They're like becoming adults. But, uh, you know, if you're a parent too, you'd probably agree with me that we exert a lot of effort to raise these kids, right? To make sure they don't die. <laughs> to make sure they eat more than just sugar cereal, right? Um, to make sure that they finish their homework, are healthy, have good friends, know God. We put them on this regimented plan, this kind of, you know, we, we got to eat this kind of food and that kind of food we got to avoid. We, we, we make them exercise. We give them music lessons. We give them sports coaches. We give them tutoring, SAT classes, college prep classes, AP exams, all of that. And for the most part, it's like pulling teeth, right, to get them to do these things, even though these things are supposedly, you know, good for their future. And all of that, if, if we are successful in our minds, at least, for them, we, we, we say that we've done a good job if they get a good job, right? As a parent, good job. My kid is working at so-and-so company or whatnot, right? That's what we all want. That's okay. I want it too. But it's funny, though, because doesn't that just mean that they're ending up as some kind of replaceable cog in some corporation? That's our goal for our kids. <laughs> it's kind of funny. But we do this. I do this. Why? Because we love them and we want them to, listen to this, we want them to enjoy the fullness of the world. There's no parent who wants our kids to live in the poverty of the world. We, if, if we had a choice, nobody would pick that. We would all want our kids to enjoy the fullness of the world. So there's nothing, you know, wrong with that. Even if you don't have children, Aren't you exerting effort in your own life so that you can enjoy the fullness of all the things that the world can offer, right? But here's the thing. We're all God's children, right? And he's raising us as his children. And just as you and I have plans for our children and we raise them in a certain way because we want them to enjoy and thrive and, and enjoy the fullness of the world, did you know that God also has a plan for you? 
as his child. And this plan that he has for you is to follow so that you can enjoy not the fullness of the world, but something exponentially greater and last forever, the fullness of God. See, we exert all this energy so that our kids can enjoy the fullness of the world, which at maximum they can enjoy for 80 years, right? Let's say they live to 100. They achieve, you know, prosperity at 20. That's 80 years. Cool. But the fullness of God is something that you can last that you can enjoy, and it lasts forever, as Lamentations 3 showed us. So I wonder, as much effort as we exert in trying to get our kids to follow this plan that we have for their lives, so that they can enjoy the fullness of the world, which is here today and gone tomorrow, are we exerting the same kind of energy and passion and conviction for ourselves and for our kids to follow the plan of God that we might enjoy the fullness of God forever? It's a good question to ask. The name of this plan, and I'm telling you that he has a plan for you. The name of this plan, there's, a wo- there's one word for it, it's discipleship. Now, before you assume um, anything about, oh, discipleship, I know what that is, hear me out. I want to kind of just redefine, in fact, simplify the definition of discipleship. It's not memorizing Bible verses. It's not going to a Bible study every week. Um, Those are kind of periphery things. The essence of discipleship, according to the Bible, is simply having faith in and following Jesus Christ and just doing whatever he taught you to do. Very simple. And that's God's plan for you. And if you follow that plan, that's the plan that's going to put you on track, you and your children and all your friends and your spouse and everybody in your life, including yourself, on track to be in position to receive all the fullness, the full force of all the fullness of God into your life. That's his plan for you. That's his purpose for you. That's his desire for you. Would you receive it? This plan uh, is also described for us here. Uh, um, Did we... Matthew 28, I don't know, maybe, there it is, okay. Let's all read that together. You may be very familiar, but let's read it together. And Jesus came and said to them, the end of the age. So we see examples of this plan in all of the Gospels and, and throughout Scripture, actually. Um, about 15 years ago, I really wanted to study how Jesus planned to fulfill his mission, his mission to bring you know, the kingdom of God uh, to us so that we can receive all the fullness of God. I wanted to see 
Jesus as the strategist. I wanted to see Jesus as the educator. So that's how I approached um, the Bible at this time, uh, 15 years ago. And I found something very interesting about his methods, um, especially in the Gospel of Luke. And so I made a simple diagram. Put that up there. Thank you. And this diagram is a reflection. It's just, it reflects the main parts of Christ's plan to bring us all of the fullness of God. And I want to share it with you. So this is really quick. It's very simple. Um, as you see there in Luke chapter 8, 9, 10, 11, we see a pattern. And here's what the pattern is. It's this pattern right here, starting from hearing, process, sent, celebrate, report, support. Um, the first part is in Luke 8, 9, 10, 11, we see Jesus giving some kind of teaching. And he's giving a teaching to a crowd. And then the next step is that we see in, in his relationships with the disciples a time where they sit down and they ask him about the parable or the teaching that they just heard him give to the crowd. And so they get into these smaller groups and they process. So the first one is hearing the word. The second one is processing the word. And then after they process it and come to some kind of conclusions and convictions, Jesus, you know what he did? He then sent them out. And he said, go do what we just discussed. Sent to do the word. We discussed the word, now go do it. And so he would send them out two by two. And then you know what would happen? After they did their thing and they did the word out in the world, they came back, reconvened, and you know what they did? They talked about it. They debriefed, they celebrated, they cried, they supported, they shared. This is what happened. Here's what we did. And here's what happened. Here's what didn't happen. And then Jesus would give another big teaching to a crowd. And the cycle would continue. And this happens a couple of times. Guys, this is Jesus's brainchild. This is his plan. This is the product of God's wisdom. This is the plan that's going to help us as disciples, followers, believers in Christ to receive all the fullness of God. Very simple, right? I thought it was so simple that I was like, heck, let's just make this the format of my small groups. So that's what I did. And then when I came here, I said, here, well, here's what we do. What do you guys think? And, you know, John and Susong and, and the other leaders, they're like, sounds good. Let's do it. It's biblical. And so if you've been in GLF, this should be familiar. The way we do it at Revive, we hear the word here on Sunday. We process the word. Maybe you meet on a Wednesday, let's say. You get together Wednesday, talk about it. Then at the end, it's, hey, we talked about it, but let's not just talk. Let's not be talkers. Let's be doers. And so we go do it. And then from Thursday to the next, through the next weekend to the next Tuesday, you, you know, you have seven days to kind of try it out, have some fun, make it, you know, specific, make it manageable. Don't, don't bite off too much. And then come back. And the next day, the next week that you come back, what do you start off with? Celebrating, reporting, supporting. How'd it go? Hey, you mentioned that you were going to do this, and did you get to do it? How, what happened? And you all share about that. 
That's all biblical. That's all part of Jesus' grand master plan. You know, sometimes, I'm going to close here, we find ourselves um, in life seasons or situations where we, we are feeling very empty, right? Um, maybe, maybe you're going through a season right now where you're feeling very empty. One of the ways that God wants to fill your emptiness is through this. Gathering together with other believers and living the word because the word is living. Recently, I um, kind of went through a, a season like this, uh, a season of taking stock of my life. I don't know, maybe you know, now that I'm, I'm going to be 50 this year, maybe it's like a midlife crisis thing, I don't know. But I was kind of down. In fact, I was real, a lot down, and I was feeling empty. And um, I was in a funk. I didn't let it let on. You know, maybe my wife knew, maybe my kids knew, not because I told them, but because they were like, why is dad so cranky? <laughs> Maybe I shared a little bit with my small group. Um, but there was one guy who I was sharing this with. And uh, it was Damon. And Damon and I have a long relationship back, you know, dating back to like 20, what, 15, 16, when you guys joined the English ministry. And uh, we were in GLF together. And one of the things I loved about going to GLF was seeing Damon, his smile. You guys know Damon. He's always smiling. I don't know why he's always smiling. He, he knows something that I don't. Maybe he has a better relationship with Jesus than I do, which wouldn't surprise me. But I love being around Damon. And um, I was sharing, and it just reminded me of all the times that we had spent um, in that building, sitting in that circle with our other GLF members, just sharing about our lives. And now fast forward, that was like 2016, right? To 2022, six years later. I haven't even really talked to Damon much because he's busy, I'm busy, we're in different groups now. He's leading his own group. And yet, on that one Saturday, I'm kind of just sharing. And I come to this conclusion, I think I need to... I think I just need more friends, <laughs> being very vulnerable here. And those of you who are my friends, don't take offense. Um, it was just, there was something going on, okay? I do consider you my friends. Um, but Damon, it was like God was speaking through him. And Damon looked at me and he said, I'm your friend. I'm your friend. That's God seeing me in my empty season and filling me with his fullness through this plan. If he, didn't, he had not committed to that GLF and I had not committed to that GLF and done that for like, what was it, three years or something, I don't know that that conversation would have been quite like that. And so this is what I'm telling you. The good news is, if you're feeling empty, 
God is a God of fullness. And he wants to give you all the force of his fullness that surpasses knowledge, all knowledge. The reality of God, he wants to pour into you. But there's a plan. It doesn't happen on your terms. If you want to receive that goodness, you have to let go of everything and ask God, I want to be empty now. Send your power to free my heart from my pride and my self-righteousness because I want you, Jesus. I want you, Jesus, to sit in my heart because I want that fullness. I'm tired of this emptiness. I'm tired of this emptiness in my marriage, in my family, in my city, in my country, in this world. And if we can fill the world with God's goodness, then let it start with me and my neighbor and my friend. And let's join together and join a GLF. Don't isolate yourself. Be in God's plan to receive all of his fullness in ways that you can't even imagine. Let's spend some time praying. Father, we thank you that even though we tore ourselves away from you and willingly gave ourselves to the idol of pride and self-rule and self-righteousness, your mercies never come to an end. You heard our cries. And in your goodness and in your grace, you made a way for us to reconcile and to experience, to, to escape the curse of emptiness and to receive once again the blessing of all your fullness. All your fullness. And that is Christ. And when we know Christ, you tell us that that is the knowledge that surpasses all knowledge. There's nothing else we need to know if we know Christ. We thank you. And for anyone here, Lord, who is going through a season of emptiness, I pray that you would give them your fullness. And that it wouldn't just be, you know, like a magic wand, Lord, no. But they, they would see the beauty of your plan in action, gathering together, exhorting one another, loving each other, hurting with one another, receiving your fullness. And if there's anyone who doesn't yet know you, Lord, would you help them to have a little taste of your fullness so that they would surrender, surrender their grip on all the ways of emptiness. Have mercy. Have mercy on us, oh God. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the fullness that you give us. Thank you for your plan of discipleship. We follow you, Jesus, and we don't want to miss out on the fullness of God. Make us disciples. Praying, and then our praise team will lead us in the final song.